Welcome to Bringing Forth. Before we get started with the intro music, I just wanted to share that I am a spiritual director and I'm currently taking on a few new clients. If you are interested in spiritual direction, listen in. And at the end of this interview, I will explain what the heck spiritual direction is and I'll tell you how you can be in touch. Welcome to Bringing Forth, a podcast on spirituality and parenting, where we share stories, insights, and wisdom at the intersection of parenting, spirituality, and real life. This is your host, Rachel Dahl O'Mahony. Hello, my patient listeners. What an honor it is to be in your ears once again. Today's guest is my OB, Dr. Maram Saeed. She was my OB when my littlest child, Esther, was born in May of 2020. I'm not sure that she is the reason it was a super easy labor and delivery, but I'm happy to give her credit. Maram's story and sharing is about drawing close to family and showing up, like really showing up and being present and tremendously wide awake present. And it's also when one where you follow your vocation and you hunt your longings down and you do it and you do it with passion and energy and you vacillate between those two poles of showing up in a wide awake present way for your family and showing up in a passionate way for your work and you vacillate back and forth and it hurts sometimes and is squishy and has all sorts of sacrifice but you do it and she does it and also in her story that you can't do it alone Maram's story could be about how she is a single mom making it on her own. She could narrate her story and could say, look at all I have done. But she didn't. She holds up a sign. She screams the words, look at my amazing, beautiful mother. Look at my sisters. Look at my brother. These people have held me and helped me. These people have loved me into being who I am. I am not currently a working mother, at least not in the sense that we mean it when we say that. I am obviously caretaking my children. I am writing and I am podcasting and I have a little thriving spiritual direction business. But I do not have a full-time job anymore. I do not have a 401k. And in some ways, I connect with Maram But I also wonder if somewhere in the background, I am also her mother or her sisters. We all come from somewhere. We all need to be held collectively. We are interdependent in ways we almost never admit. But when we talk about interdependence, I feel more free to be a support player for a while and lead in another time in my life. I feel more free to cheer people on in physical and emotional and spiritual ways. I feel less awkward in myself in interacting with people when they say, what do you do? In my birth story of Esther, there are two main characters, me and Esther. And then there are support people, Sean, a really great L&D nurse, whose name I can't remember and whose face I barely saw because she was wearing a mask. 
and Dr. Saeed Maram. The first hands my baby ever felt on her were of a woman, a Muslim American woman born in the West Bank. She ushered me into being a mother of four, and my baby into her first breath. Maram Saeed is a cis straight American Midwestern girl from Racine, Wisconsin, who has been educated and trained in the Midwest and stuck around in the Midwest for her professional life as well. She was born in the West Bank and is ethnically Palestinian. Maram is a mom to two boys who we'll be hearing about in the interview. Maram is also an OBGYN in Indianapolis and Carmel, Indiana. Her practice of medicine focuses on holistic care and in the richness of people's complex lives. As a former patient and now emerging friend, I can say that Maram is thorough, kind, empathetic, and loves to talk about the wonder of the human body. Welcome, Maram. Really glad to have you. So I ask everybody this question. So who are you parenting? Who are you parenting with and how did your children come into your life? I'm currently a mother to both Adam, my 17 year old who will soon be 18. And my younger son is Zach. His actual name is Zachariah. I liked biblical names because I think they're very unifying and universal and kind of easy to remember, unlike Maram. Um, and my co-parenting buddy and my rock in life has actually been my mother who parented me and my siblings. And thank God has been available and just given her heart and soul to helping me raise my children, uh, especially in my job where it's really hard to be a parent, let alone a single parent. Mm-hmm. Um, um, sorry, my computer beeped. Um, so what I would say is my mom is truly the rock. They consider her another mom to them. They mm-hmm. often have two moms and I'm really proud of that. They do have a dad. Uh, my ex-husband is more involved in their life as they've gotten older. Um, he will see them on the weekends for a little bit sometimes. Um, but he was present up until my oldest son, Adam was about eight and, um, like lived in the same home. We were married uh, as husband and wife. And, um, Zach was about one year old when, uh, we separated and divorced. So Mm-hmm. And, and they came to you, their biological children. They're, oh yeah. And I forgot to say Zach is 11. Unfortunately, the second kid, um, unlike <laughs> always <laughs> yeah, say it, um, both biological babies. Um, Adam was actually a surprise. I did not plan to get pregnant at the young age of 18. Um, but he's been my biggest blessing in life. And I had him when I was 19 years old at the end of my freshman year in college, not a lot of patients nor people know that about me. Um, however, it's really important to me to be proud of that. And really he's helped shaped me as a person, as a woman, as a mother, and as a professional, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as a human, I'm, I'm grateful for that big blessing of having had him uh, and having had support from my mother and dad. My dad passed away. Um, it'll be 11 years this summer, but he also was very crucial to helping shape my oldest, my Adam, um, mm-hmm. who's good. Ian, like he loved his grandpa and uh, my dad really was like kind of semi-retired and hung out with him often and take him to preschool and teach him Sunday school things and just a lot of religion and just, you know, life things. Um, and then Zach is 11. He's in fifth grade, soon to be a middle schooler. And Adam is soon to be going off to college in Atlanta. So, yeah. Wow. Big, big yeah. Yeah. That's like big transitions in very different ways, different directions. Back. Yes back to like the young, young teens and college. Yes. Launching an adult. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. 
Yeah, I guess Adam is the age now that you, when you got pregnant. It feels very emotional. I've actually in the last couple of months brought it up to him a few times and said, boy, can you imagine how stressful your life is as a senior? And then imagine like I was valedictorian of my high school, your age, I was doing well. And then like my freshman year in college, oh my gosh, I'm having you. That would make you feel. And then he was like, I don't know, mom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I, I really love that he appreciates everything that I've been through. And like, he'll often say, wow, mom, I don't know how much you studied, but that must've been hard to like figure out how to be a doctor and a mom. And luckily I had great guidance and support from my own mom. Um, Mm -hmm. But that was really hard. And I just could never imagine parent in a year. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, so I know you're a Muslim. So will you tell me about what your practice of Islam looks like? Cause obviously religion is expressed in all sorts of different ways by all sorts of different folks. Yeah. So I'm very proud Muslim. Uh, I was you know, raised in a, an Islamic or a Muslim home here in Wisconsin. Um, thankfully with many ties to the West Bank and Jerusalem and to Palestine slash Israel, depending on what part you're in. And um, I I think religion has just always been such a huge part of my life and my faith and just like who I am and my existence. Mm -hmm. I am a Sunni Muslim, which um, if you look at Islam as a whole, there's uh, Sunni and Shiite. Um, So most Palestinians identify as Sunni, S-U-N-N-I. And so, um, the way that I like to explain Islam is we're kind of the same message from the same God of the people of the book, Judaism, Christianity, Islam. We all believe in the same thing. Um, we believe in the same God. Mm-hmm. And the fundamental teaching is there was, again, those books. And then after the Old and the New Testament came the Holy Book of the Quran via the prophet Muhammad. We also view Jesus Christ as our Messiah and prophet. In fact, Jesus could you know, heal the ill and heal the blind. And, and we do believe that the Messiah, Messiah, Jesus, the Messiah is how we call him in Islam. Um, and so it's very important to me to have that religion and faith in my life. And it really helps me also to align with my own identity and my patients as well. I have prayed many a time with my patients, whether they're having surgery or they're about to have a C-section or a baby or, you know, a cancer diagnosis. Um, I think it's really important that we not look at the identity necessarily of the religion sometimes, but what we believe, like, I believe that you and I believe in the same thing. Ultimately, there are some fundamental differences, which I'm always happy to explain for people who have, you know, questions about the fake differences in Islam. Um, But ultimately it's like my guiding force as to how I come back to work. And I do believe in good things, even when I see horrible things sometimes in my job um, and in my own life. I mean, I've been through through my life. And, um, I did not get married to get divorced. I don't think anybody ultimately plans that. I think Islam aligns a lot with Catholicism. I happen to work for a Catholic employer and there are a lot of parallels between being Catholic and Muslim. Um, and so I think that for me, it guides just how I practice my life and how I commit to prayer and charity. I give a lot of charity in my life. I think of motherhood as a blessing. Um, And I love working for the system I work for, even though it's not a Muslim hospital, it's a Catholic hospital system. A lot of it is the same, you know, dedication and reverence and service to the poor and just the humanity aspect. Um, To me, religion, you could be labeled any religion when you're born, but how do you practice your life? Mm -hmm. And 
Um, there's a very important saying that I've told my kids and my siblings, and I remind myself and my friends, and it's an Arabic saying, Adina yusur usur. and the down and dirty translation of it is, your religion and faith should make your life easier and not harder. Mm-hmm. And I say this as I'm fasting right now for Ramadan, I'm NPO, nothing per mouth, um, all day long, no food, no drink. Um, and it's about like my own identity and it gives me time to free myself from my belief and my existence and just kind of like where I fit in, in the big scheme of things. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of my religion and faith in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, could you share uh, maybe a story or example of how your practice of faith or spirituality has impacted your experience of parenting your children? It's impacted how I teach my children. You know, mm-hmm. everybody likes to say there's right and there's wrong. Um, but I think ultimately it's more like ethics and how their mannerisms are. Um, my son, Adam, for example, or Adam's going to hate me. Um, he, he hit our neighbor's car backing out one day. And as a good Samaritan, if you would, as a good kid, despite how terrified he was, he very quickly came up to my room crying almost. Mm-hmm, of course. Yeah. I hit so-and-so's car backing out of the driveway. I didn't see it. It was parked across the street. Oh my God, what are we going to do? Like he totally owned it mm-hmm. and he, he shouldn't lie. He knew he needs to be honest in how he approaches it. And what do we do next? Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think that's one example of, yeah, sure. Some kids could have like totally pretended it wasn't them. Nobody saw anything. It was in the dark, um, Mm -hmm. but he knew better. And Mm -hmm. so that's, well, um, other examples of course include his dedication to Sunday school and volunteering. Like I enforce that my children will have to give to the community, whether you're volunteering or you're helping or you're attending, you have to be a member of your community in any way that you can. And so as a parent, I think it just puts a little more structure. Yeah. I've not seen as like, you know, barriers or things that are mandatorily, you know, negative, but rather they're kind of obligations and they're also important because they help them form their identity. And, um, you know, parenting is such a big box, right? Um, There's also smoking and drugs and sexuality. And I do have those conversations, especially with my own you know, Adam knows what I believe on things and that those things are just not going to be something that I endorse and Mm -hmm. therefore should stay away from them. Mm -hmm. And so far, I would say that I've raised a very healthy young adult who knows what decisions to make in a responsible fashion. So I do think it goes back to religion and family and faith. Mm -hmm. It sounds like for you, it's so much about like your deep roots. Like this isn't your superficial, like, oh, because God says it's like, no, this is a matter of who we are deeply. It's not like we're being honest because God said being honest. We're being honest because like the foundation of what it is to be human and respectful and kind and be of God, of Allah is to be honest. And um, Allah, la ilaha illallah, means God. It's the Arabic word for God. And Mm -hmm. God is always our actions, knows our intent. And it's really like, how do you act when you're alone? Do you feel comfortable with your own self-identity? Like he gives us like, you know, the groundwork, but then we choose what we do with it. In Mm -hmm. Islam, it says, thou shall not drink alcohol. And I would say, Thankfully, I have never had alcohol. And for me, it's one of those faith things. I've fasted the month of Ramadan. Um, and there are obligations or the pillars of Islam that I feel those are like the minimum things I have to do. 
I pray as much as I can, ideally five times a day, but I'm working, you know, 16 mm-hmm. hour shifts sometimes. And I can't pray on time every time, but I also know God knows my intent. He knows I will give it my best and my all. And I'm being trusted with people's lives. It's not like I'm just sitting around watching Netflix and <laughs> same applies to my kids. And I love Netflix, by the way. Of course, um, just not so- at the moment you're supposed to be praying. <laughs> Um, and it's really interesting. Um, my oldest, I would say, is less punctual about prayer, even though he's been around it way more than my younger Zach. Zach mm-hmm. will wake up every morning, even if he's running late. I'm going to go make we'll do it, mom, which is where you do like the um, cleansing for prayer. You have your face, arms, feet behind your you know, neck and he'll go do his will do and then he'll do his morning prayer and then he'll come downstairs. And it's like, how do you like say hurry? You can't say hurry up to that. Um, and so he, I think is very faithful in his own kind of way. This is 11 year old Zach um, versus Adam is more, um, he's very objective. Like he's very analytical. I would say he, I mean, he fasts for the month of Ramadan. Zach is not fasting yet because he's not been through puberty, um, but they each have their own like way. How do they interpret the faith? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And they clearly you're like giving them the freedom to figure out what it means for them instead of just making demands on it. Unfortunately, um, my experience with friends and with just life and people I've met along the way, if we, um, if we kind of isolate people or force them to do things because we say God said so, we don't explain why we're doing this. Why are we giving to the poor every Ramadan? Why are we giving to charity versus buying a new car? You know, um, if you explain why you can't do this or you shouldn't maybe do. Um, I think then our children will ultimately understand the point and purpose. Like, let's focus our energy on X instead of Z. And not just because, you know, God said so, but God asked us to do so. And here's why we think that applies. Um, and that's really important to me. Like, I want them to believe, like truly believe in their own heart so that one day they can teach their kids. I won't be around forever. And whatever I instill in them, hopefully they'll truly believe and instill in their kids if they truly are committed to that way of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's peaceful living. Yeah. Okay. Shifting a little bit or, or maybe specifically, um, how is your work as an OB, a surgeon, and being a care provider, how is that part of spirituality for you? I think that it's quite the balance. And in time, you like figure out what's okay for you as, as a physician, as a human. Um, I picked probably one of the hardest specialties in the world. For me as a person, spirituality makes me the semi-emotional slash sentimental person I am. I can't take my, my feelings away from my job. But objectively, I'm a clinician, I'm a surgeon, I specialize in robotic surgery, I do cesarean and operative deliveries all the time. Um, and I'm also a clinician who focuses on preventative health care and just like your whole well-being. I chose to become an osteopathic DO physician because I do believe mind, body, spirits are all interconnected. And to me, that's like been from day one of medical school. That's just my philosophy as a human. Um, I had in 20... 18, I believe it was, um, an incident that almost made me not ever come back and deliver babies. And it really tested my ability to cope with a difficult outcome and experience how bad pregnancy can get and how it can almost kill you. And I 
couldn't find the purpose in what I was doing for a little while after that, because I thought to myself, this is very mentally stressful, physically exhausting. And I can't even save everybody always quickly. Um, And thankfully I had a great outcome with that patient and her child. But I think that my faith is what brought me back to like the happy side of my work because sure, bad things happen. And when you look at the outcome, it turned out well, despite how like it truly tested and tried and beat me up on the inside. And if I wasn't human, I wouldn't have those emotions. I mean, I love that human and I can feel with people and I need that balance. I need the faith to let me come back to what I'm doing. I get to see stillbirths, unfortunately, and cancer diagnoses and people who struggle with infertility or even sexual assault, things Mm -hmm. that you don't really always have an explanation for. I still believe there's more good than evil in the world. And I still do believe in that cautious optimism. And I help people through that. I mean, I can tell someone they have cancer and they leave my office knowing, and here's what we're going to do to treat it. And we found it and we're going to fix it. And here's what my doctor planned for me. And God will be by my side and we're going to pray and we're going to use medicine and science and we're going to get through it because I do believe medicine, science, and faith all coexist. It's a delicate balance. What I hear you saying is that you've looked over the precipice and said, like, there's a lot of human suffering here, right? And like, there are moments you can nearly fall into it yourself. Sometimes patients do die of cancer. Sometimes really difficult outcomes happen. Could you just explore with me how, how you manage that as a physician that like the suffering that you face? So often I I like to say the patient obviously is number one. They're the ones going through the loss or the process. Mm. We are often the second victim, like to sit and hold a mother's hand when she lets out a cry her baby doesn't have a heartbeat. And I've been through that even at 38 weeks, 39 weeks with a mom who's done everything right. And then for some reason, baby has a cord accident. So in addition to just being there for the patient and crying, I cry with people all the time. And I hope that's not seen as a sign of weakness, but rather humanity and empathy. Just, you know, it's okay to cry as long as you're still being cognitively aware and coherent. You know, often in these situations, I've gone to funerals with families. I've stayed in touch and donated to their causes. That makes me feel better. Like it can't bring back a stillbirth, but it can maybe help them feel a little better closure. Um, You know, I had uh, not too long ago, and I won't say when, I had a day where I delivered a not alive baby And I had to do a procedure to get that baby delivered, unfortunately, due to the situation and the anatomy of the patient. And literally 40 minutes later, I had to do a C-section and deliver two beautiful live twins to a family. And just that high and the low and stepping aside in the hallway to cry my eyes out, getting that family through their grievance, helping set them up with a plan, even having the talk of Do you do an autopsy or do you do a funeral service for your loss? Those things are all really very delicate conversations Mm -hmm. and really nobody teaches you that in medical school. You just kind of figure it out along the way in training and in practice. But yeah, the highs are really high in OB and the lows are really low. But what makes it so exciting is when you make a new mom again, or you grow a family, like the high of that is like nothing in the world. It's just so worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What has parenting or mothering taught you about God that you wouldn't have known without your own lived experience? 
there's this saying in Arabic, it's one of the religious sayings that when the prophet was asked about who the most cherished person was to him, he said, my mother, and then 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 my father. And I've always been like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And then to go through what it means to become a mother, to carry a human, to push that human out of your body somehow, or deliver that baby out of your abdomen, like to grow life inside of you. And then you just become this like I guess, giving entity in your milk, in your love, in your worry, in your compassion. Well, now I know why God put a special place for mothers because mothers sacrifice their bodies, their well-being often, and their freedom in some ways. And so, yeah, motherhood has taught me why that is so important. Motherhood has made me appreciate my own mother in different eyes and to respect her in a different view. Um, not only because she's helped parent my kids with me, but like, I know all the sacrifices she's gone through, but at the end of the day, motherhood has helped me kind of put things in a different lens about the sacrifice of being a parent. I think it really has put light on what we as mothers achieve and how God has entrusted us to raise these people. And um, I think that's really important to me. You know, you're the third guest I've had. That's a Muslim Oh, nice. on this podcast. And each time this that experience of Muhammad saying my mother, my mother, my mother has come up and really? yeah, yeah. It, it seems, and there, the other two guests were also women and mothers it seems really like that has, it's been important and it makes me reflect on like how inadequate my own tradition is so much of, I think people's espousing Mary is this real desire to nurture a mothering face in the context of Christianity. Like if there's something that's needed, like, yes, I, I think fatherhood is great. I had a great father, but I'm never going to be a father. So like, I, I need something that is also validating my experience. We have in the Quran, a whole committed surah or a chapter mm -hmm. called Mary. And if you look traditionally at all the paintings and all the pictures, Mary always covered her hair, like a lot of Muslim women do. Like I do when I pray, when I, you know, face God in a pure state, the sign of modesty, you know, me, I don't cover my hair. It doesn't make me any less of a believer in my deeds and actions and my intent, but those are all parallels that we can draw. And she was the mother of Jesus. I mean, that's a huge deal. Like he's our messenger. And so there's a lot of importance to motherhood and faith. And I, like I said, get to make moms, get to guide them. There's postpartum depression that I help them through. There's the infertility battles. There's the surgical issues we go through and the healing, no matter how you become a mom. So there's a lot. And I think that faith does kind of intricately go in hand in hand with that. Yeah, I think so too. I want to hear a little more about your own parenting. So what has been hard, maybe specifically, um, but also what has been like gift and surprising gift or um, like, and, and I find that sometimes what is hard actually eventually becomes gift, right? Would you share about that? I will say having become a mother at a young age was probably the hardest thing that I never would have saw coming when I was in high school. I would have never guessed I'd have a kid at 19. Um, and then to go through the obstacles of going through um, college and medical training, graduate school in between, um, there was a lot of judgment towards me that made my path harder. Mm -hmm. Not everybody is eager to accept a mother into medical school or at least, you know, 
however many years ago, back in six, um, that's been how many years, you know, um, years ago at least. Um, so I would say it was a harder course becoming a physician because I was a mother. Um, but I would say that in the end, it made me a better doctor. And I know that a lot of these wonderful young residents I train have children in residency, or some of my friends have waited to have children until they were attending physicians, completed all their training and in practice. And when I look back and I think, wow, I had one in college and I had another one in medical school, that one was planned. Um, I, I like to think, you know what? I got that kind of out of the way because I always wanted to be a mom. And at the time it was so hard because I remember in medical school in Iowa, I, you know, I'd get up early in the morning, go to lecture. You'd have to, you know, then go have dinner with your family and put the kids to bed. And then I would study till 11 PM and on test days, wake up at two 30 in the morning. My job as a medical student never went away because I was a mother, mm-hmm. but my mother didn't go away because I was a medical student. I felt so guilty, like not being present. There's a lot of things in my children's childhood that unfortunately I had to not be present for. And that was really hard emotionally. I don't feel inadequate as a mother. I feel like I'm a very wonderful mother now that I reflect back and my kids are finally at a point where I feel like I've done a good job with them. But while you go through it, it really kind of nags at you. And, but luckily my mom was able to help me fill that void for them a lot. And it's kind of like a parallel. And my sisters, I have to mention my sisters. I'm the oldest of four. And so I have a sister who just became a mom in March, just a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, she was- Did a, you deliver her baby? I actually did help deliver her baby. She nice. ended up having a C-section. I have to take the claim for pulling his stubborn head out. Um, <laughs> so um, I did. I, it was one of the most magical things I've ever been through. And um but my sisters and then Nora, my baby sister, her and my son, Adam, are only three years apart, which is really weird to think about. My mother had her much older in life. Um, she was a surprise blessing. And I had Adam very young in life. So it's really interesting. The two of them are more like siblings than aunt and uncle. And so, yeah, I go back to that. And I think I know I wasn't necessarily always present, but they were. And they kind of grew up together and it's a very weird modern family. Like I, you know, I wish I could say I have a husband and a perfect family, but I don't yet. Here's an example to me of, okay, it was really hard. And even though we were a modern family with not every family figure present and represented at the dinner table, it still worked out great. Like I'm so proud of my children. They make me be able to sleep well at night, knowing they're going to be good humans. I often say, I don't have a lot of hours with my kids. But when I'm there, I'm very present. Yeah. It's quality time over quantity of time. Yeah. And I still believe that applies no matter how old our children are. I believe also that one of the things that has really, that COVID has revealed more than anything is this idea of like the perfect family union, unit with like a mom and a dad and like two, you know, two children, this like nuclear family thing is bogus. I don't care if your family is the most nuclear of nuclear families, everybody needs more support and care. And we need to hold parenting collectively in some way. So I love that your mom is involved. Your sisters are involved, like fam that you don't have to be like, you know, everything for your sons at all times. And when you're there, you really show up. Well, yeah. And even my brother, you know, my brother is quite a few years younger than me. He's only 31. 
Um, but he's been the perfect role model for my kids. He is a successful, respectful man who is now a urologist getting married and like, he's cool. Like he's way cooler. (laughs) And I, I do believe they have a lot of love and respect for their father. I don't ever want to discredit him. Like they wouldn't be here without him. I chose him and had his children and I would never go back and, and belittle anyone. That's not my job. You know, I, I think God will judge everyone based on their deeds and their actions. And sure. There was a lot of hurt and even hate at some point, but I've learned to forgive and move on. It is not my job necessarily to make a connection between my ex-husband and my children, but he will always be their father, no matter what is going on in life. And I want them to have a respectful relationship. Mm-hmm. So I try to make that happen, but I'm not going to skew their, I'm going to let them formulate yeah. their own. Right. It's not your job to make it happen, nor to like get in the, be a wedge against right. that either. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. healthy. Yeah. I imagine that you having had your first child at 19 really makes you very good at caring for teen parents and young parents. I do have a special place in my heart for those young women who get pregnant and I try really hard not to discourage them. I saw so much discouragement and people would try to skew me away from medicine or, oh, there's other job options or, you know, just the whole question of, are you keeping your baby? Well, for me, that was never a question. Um, and I respect all options. I'm very open-minded. I have gotten my patients anything service-wise that they need and care-wise that is good for them and their family. But when I see a young 19-year-old who's pregnant, I like to always remind them and say, you know, I have been in your shoes in that chair, terrified with a baby inside of me, Mm -hmm. I became a doctor and most young moms don't become doctors, but I know you can do something great. Mm -hmm. And you, if not for you now for this baby, like let this baby be your motivator, your catalyst in life. Mm -hmm. And I do really care for them. And like, just so special. I, I, I feel with them and I feel like they get judged and that's just not fair. People are so quick to judge when they've never walked in your shoes. They've never known how hard it is. And we all have our struggles, no matter how amazingly happy or healthy we seem, everybody has their struggles internally. Mm -hmm. And if we're not there to support them, how are they going to be good moms? They won't. We have to like the community that helps them thrive. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if everyone's story is that you're a screw up, then you'll inevitably become a screw up. If we create that script for them, then we are selling them down the river. Correct. Yeah. Um, will you share a moment of awe and wonder in your parenting? Oh, wow. There's a lot of happy moments. I, I'll share one with each child, I guess. So my oldest, Adam, has really over the last year, I think, been more vocal with me about his feelings, about life, about what he wants to do when he grows up. Um, Just like looking at the big picture. And he's often um, lately come to me and and just like wanted to sit or cuddle or like hang out, which, you know, hanging out with mom has never been fun. Um, But he will come to me and like, we'll just hang out and chat. And it's like my favorite thing in the world. Like he wants to be my friend, not just my son. And now he'll talk to me things like, you know, finances and planning, and he wants to go through medical school. And that has been really surprising to me because often I would have thought that, oh my God, they probably think I have the worst job in the world. I'm not home as much as most moms. 
no, he wants to like be on call and be some kind of a yeah, his story is the opposite of what you thought. So clearly it's been a positive influence to me. That is like such a rewarding thing. And the fact that he kind of wants to hang out with me, not just be my kid and respect me, but wants to spend time with me. And we're already planning these trips to Atlanta and we're going to plan all the things and how often he'll come home or when I'll go visit him. Like he's very engaged in that. So I feel like I've like set him up right for success. And he wants me to be that, you know, structure in his life still mm-hmm. um, for Zach. Uh, my son, Zach has had a lot of health issues and that's been a really hard struggle. It's been actually one of the biggest challenges as a parent is to have a kid who has a heart defect and he had a spine issue as well. And he had severe asthma and he has been on a ventilator. When I was in medical school, my last year, that was the summer leading up to my last year. I lost my father. Um, he died very unexpectedly over a six week course of illness. Um, he had a endocarditis of his heart and, um, my son, Zach, just three months later was on a ventilator in the PICU. And I remember them having a conversation with me and my family that not all babies make it out alive from the ICU. And that was really scary. Um, and then as we diagnosed more of his health issues, just, you know, the, the fact that he had this big spine issue that needed to be diagnosed and treated. And at the university of Iowa, I was told not to do surgery. And then as he got a little older and bigger, and I was going through my residency training, I I just kept thinking he's not going to be able to do the things his brother is doing. If I just don't let him have a surgery. Mm -hmm. And as a mother, it's really, really hard because you want to be your child's best advocate. And you have to make a decision that you think one day when they grow up, they're going to be okay with that decision that you made. Like mm-hmm. be able to look him in the eye when he's a man and say, I really thought that was what you needed. I really think we did the right thing at the time. And so I kept looking for surgeons and at St. Vincent at Peyton Manning, I found a surgeon who was able to perform my son's orthopedic procedure. That was really rare. He told me he'd only done three of them in his career and it greatly improved his range of motion. And mm-hmm. He is now a little MVP at basketball and he can like, he loves athletics, which is really surprising for how not healthy he's been. Athletics is like his thing. Like it's what defines nice athletic shoes and his athletic gear and being in basketball and soccer. He's so proud of that. And had I not done that procedure for him and not taking that huge, bold risk that I literally could not even swallow or gulp or breathe or sleep, knowing what the possible bad outcomes would be from that procedure that little bit of faith, that little flicker of hope that my baby would have a better outcome. That's like priceless. And Mm now able to do sports and everything. You Um, gave him himself. Yeah. That's again, the space where like faith and science come together. Yes. So, so important because any of you remember having this talk with my um, ex-husband at the time we were not together. Um, and with my mother and they were both like, you're being really gutsy, like something really bad could happen. But I'm like, what if it's like that one possibility that something really good can happen mm-hmm. and I'm a big risk taker in life. But that was one of those things where I'm so thankful to God and to the surgical team that took care of my son and gave him another opportunity to be like a totally different trajectory in his life. You you came of age after September 11th, you're a Muslim American, you're a brown woman, you're marrying Muslim, you're not marrying, you're raising Muslim boys. Um, how are you coping in like this America? How have you been coping? Say something about that. 
Sure. I mean, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of prejudice and racism in America. I don't think it's ever really going to go away. Um, I grew up in a small town, small city in Wisconsin, and people were pretty open-minded. But I remember when 9-11 happened, my brother's name is Muhammad, and they would terrorist and push him and attack him verbally. Um, and so we grew up with that, unfortunately, when he was a teenager. Um, in my career, I try to often remind people that I am a Muslim. I know that sounds really strange, but um, you know, often I'll be on call or have a surgery or something. And at the end of the day, I, I have a very distinct patient's husband, I remember. Um, it was the end of the day, add-on pregnancy that was in the wrong place, kind of uh, emergency surgery. And um, at the end of the evening, it was like, you know, 7 p.m. He goes, oh, you get to finally go home. I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to eat and drink. And he goes, what? I said, oh, I've been not eating or drinking all day. It's Ramadan. And he goes, you just did that surgery and you weren't eating or drinking? Mm -hmm. And I said, I fast. I'm used to it. I work like this, you know, for 30 days and I get to eat after dark. So I'm just glad I get to go home and eat now and you're by safe and happy and healthy. And so then I, I introduced the fact that, wow, there's like Muslim doctors around here. Mm -hmm. um, in my practice, I've brought a lot of Muslims to the practice here, which I think is really important. I've educated a lot of my own colleagues about what does it mean to fast? Who is exempt from fasting? You know, the different rules and things. And so I think it all ties in together, honestly. I've actually had patients who, after I've done a great surgery on them, like, you know, taken out their cancer and done a hysterectomy and everything, and they're just so positive. And then they'll be like, oh, you know, what do you think of the news? And can you believe those Muslims? And they'll say things like that to me. And I'm like, you don't realize the person who just did your surgery is a Muslim person. And I, I used to never even say anything. And, and now I very kindly and respectfully like to say, you know, I, I'm a Muslim too, actually. I believe what you believe. And not everything on the news is accurate. You know, there are good people in every faith. There are very bad people in every faith. And we cannot hold a whole identity responsible for the minority of things that are going wrong in any kind of people. Um, and, and it really hurts sometimes to have yeah, like, yeah. like that gave you their whole trust. And then like they bash you. Um, my brother, he's had patients refuse when they hear his name is Muhammad. Oh, I don't know buddy with that name taking care of me. Um, and so he's had to leave because he is a Muslim and by his name, he's quickly identified as that. But the majority of our patients and our friends and our colleagues and our community love us and they know us for the people we are. Hurts me is that I, as a doctor, you, you don't judge people based on one thing. You look at the picture objectively and I wish people could be more objective in life. I think if you assume positive intent in your partner, in your community member, that will go a long way versus assuming negativity or toxicity. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Do you have a bit of advice for listeners at the intersection of parenting and spirituality? There's a lot of parallels between both because sometimes you just do it because you know you have to. Um, I, I have to really say that. That's what I really think right now. If you want my raw and unedited. I mean, it's been a while since you've eaten um, or slept. Yeah. Okay. You just do it. You just tough it out and you go through with it. And sometimes you don't know the why, but it's okay to get the why later. You just do it because it's the right thing to do. But often we reflect on every decision we make, whether it's in marriage or in, you know, 
matters of the family, like inheritance or whatever it is, um, or just how you parent your kids and what you do and don't let them do, or how you approach um, disciplining them or educating them or what faith they're going to be if you have a mixed family of different faiths. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's just a lot of unknown um, and you just try your best. You just try your best because I will tell you, no one is perfect. Like some people would say, I don't cover my hair. Therefore, how can I assume I'm truly a Muslim? Mm -hmm. But then I I say, I I do all the pillars of my religion. I do all the sayings of my God. And I truly in my heart have faith and intent and believe. I believe beyond what I see. And to me, that is so important. And in our children, we have to believe in them and and just instill in them, I know you're going to be great. And I know my Zach's not going to play for the NBA one day, but I'm going to tell him he's going to be just as good as any NBA player, (laughs) even if he can't, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't know that yet. And I believe he's going to achieve, or maybe one day he'll play for his high school team or his college team. And that's as far as he's, Mm -hmm. but if you believe in it, you will let it happen. And, and to me, that is so positive and so important. I'm always like a crazy optimist in this world. And I think that I believed I could be a great mom. I believed I could be a great physician and I hope everyone can believe to be the greatest them that they can be, whether it's in their faith or in their parenting. And it's the same principle at the end of the day. Thank you so much for doing this with me. told you at the beginning, if you stuck around, that I would explain what spiritual direction is and how you can be in touch if you are interested. Spiritual direction is for a person who's pursuing a deeper sense of how God is acting in their life and wants to explore ways to respond. For some people, they might use the language of God. For others, they might want to explore where holiness or how sacred energy is showing up. There is sometimes silence, sometimes prayer, a lot of times sharing. As a director, I ask questions and try to listen deeply to the places where I notice God's energy about or what your response looks like. I have a particular lens of exploring anti-racism work with white folks. Sometimes people use the term spiritual companionship or friendship. Those are the same thing as spiritual direction. I use spiritual direction not because I I intend to tell you what to do, but because I honor that there is a power differential in spiritual direction, and I don't want to forget that. In terms of what it looks like logistically, well, for right now, I meet with my clients on Zoom. Usually, spiritual direction happens monthly, and if you're interested, then the first thing to do is to email or call me, and we'll set up a first meeting where you can decide if you want to work with me and vice versa. During that time, you'll share a little bit about yourself. You can ask me any questions you want, and we'll just explore together. And of course, that meeting is free. Uh, To be in touch, take a look at my website at rdoministryconsulting.com. Find the contact page, or you can email me at rachel at rdoministryconsulting.com.